as we've kind of evolved on this podcast where, you know, of course, we when we started it, we uh, you know, were with Hacksaw and talked about the 80s and during that time that, that Hacksaw was there and, and his experiences. And then we uh, started having all these guests come on from the era. And then now we've been able to, you know, talk to some people that are from the more modern era uh, of the, the late 90s and even into the 2000s uh, when, uh, you know, the, the business was changing so quickly. But also, I love hearing from the old old school guys. And that is uh, what we're going to be doing today. And really a, a great guest. He's got a new book coming out called Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. And that is Bugsy with two G's. If you know your business, if you know your stuff, if you know your history, because he wanted it to be different. And what a, a, a fascinating guy. And um, his name is Michael Davis. Uh, and uh, he's going to join us to talk about what it was like, though. He he, he started in the business in 1967 and uh, lived through that that era of the territories. He knew, you know, when they were uh, all the promoters had their respective territories and you didn't cross the lines and they worked together and exchanged talent. And uh, he's got some uh, absolutely great stories. So what are we waiting for? Come on, Mooney, let's get to it. Michael Davis, better known as Bugsy McGraw. Ding, ding, ding. Well, folks, you know, we often mention the term old school. Well, my guest today traveled the many roads of old school wrestling, competing in territories all over the world, beginning in 1967. And joining me now is the legendary Michael Davis, who wrestled under many names, but of course, it's best known as Bugsy McGraw. And, uh, Bugsy, thank you so much for joining us here on Primetime. How are you? Well, praise God in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm alive and well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and you've got a lot going on still. You've got a, a new book coming out called Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. Uh, what made you decide to tell your story now? Well, I kind of always uh, wanted to write, you know, to write something on professional wrestling. Yeah. You know, uh, with my life in professional wrestling, and you know all the all the things that happened, all the all the adventures, and uh, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that happened that you know most into so most into uh, most people don't get a chance to experience. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, the average individual, uh, the average individual, you know, would have a hard time going. Man, did that really happen? But it really did. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Well, it's amazing, yeah. and, and and you had a uh, had a lot of stories to tell, uh, folks. If you uh, uh, you've got to get a chance to get this read, we'll tell you how you can uh, get a copy of this uh, as we go along here. But you know, I mentioned when I say old school. And uh, a lot of times people, you know, refer, refer to that fondly. What what does old school mean to you? Oh, uh, well, you know, with the territories. Yeah. Back when, you know, when I began between uh, our country and our country and Canada. Yeah. And, of course, you also had uh, ones overseas in Japan and Australia. Between Canada and the U.S., there were probably about roughly 20 territories. Wow. Yeah, to go where you could, where you could support yourself at, you know? Yeah. You know, you know, all depending on the territory, there were, 
there were some that were only so-so and then others, you know, you, you know, you could do really well at. <clears throat> yeah. Well, before Vince McMahon Jr. came along and, and changed that world, uh, as you mentioned, there were these there were territories, and it wasn't just in the United States, uh, throughout Canada, which I know you spent some time up there. Um, but, uh, you know, these promoters basically respected each other's territories. And there were some, you know, advantages and disadvantages to that. But as you mentioned, one of the things you could do is that you could go to a territory um, and, and say, stay there for 10 months and, and have a run and make some good money. And then when you kind of exhausted that, uh, that uh, run going there, you could go to another territory. And, and we didn't have the Internet there or, or quite the television coverage. So you could be a brand new personality and establish a whole new uh, run there. So, uh, as as you mentioned, though, but uh, Bugsy, it was as I said, there were advantages and disadvantages because some territories were better than others, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, it would all depend, you know, on the, you know where you went and you know what they covered their area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it, it was you know. There was a lot of them back then, yeah. yeah. And some of them you would you could make a lot of money somewhere. And I, I think it it had to do with how those uh, promoters ran their business. So you're kind of at the mercy of what kind of businessmen these guys were. Uh, yeah, that's a good point, Sean. A- absolutely, you know. And then too, it depends, you know, on you know on how they paid mm-hmm. and your position on the card. Yeah. <clears throat> So you could make and, and and I know in your book you mentioned some of the payoffs and I, I know when uh, you were you went up to uh, work for Stampede with uh, Stu Hart I think you could have some paydays uh, fifteen to twenty five dollars <laughs> Wow Yeah maybe you know uh, you might get up to fifty to sixty dollars I'm uh, I'm not quite sure that's uh, a while back but yeah. yeah but you know when I went up there it, they had one of the worst winners they ever had in their entire life and wow and the trips were 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 long and there was just a lot of snow and <clears throat> you know it was cold it was everything it was yeah. like oh boy can't even imagine <clears throat> uh, before we really get into your wrestling career and and the roads that you traveled um i want to talk a little bit about how you grew up i know that uh, you know, you, you were born in a very interesting time in our country. You are born in, in 44, which, of course, uh, everyone knows, you know, the World War II was, was still going on. It was about to wrap up, but still uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, what was it like uh, growing up in, a, in that period of time and, and in Indianapolis? Oh, you know, that's a good question, young man. Uh, yeah, well, you know, at that point in time, you know, our society was not the same then. You know, right. a society now has changed drastically, mm-hmm. really. <clears throat> so back then, you know, when you grew up, uh, you know, you had so most individuals. You know, they had a they had a family, the uh, mother and the father, and and you were raised to do the right thing. You were uh, so raised to tell the truth. You were. You were supposed to keep your word. So nowadays, you really don't have that anymore. You know, now it's like, you know, I mean, anybody can say anything. They don't care what they promise Mm because they could care 
lessons to keep their word and you know on and on and on you know there wasn't you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of honor there well i should say there's not a lot of honor all at the present time in our society yeah Yeah. and then you know you mentioned that like neighborhoods i mean people looked out for each other uh you know if if a kid was messing around it wasn't beyond a neighbor to, to reprimand him or even discipline him Boy, you couldn't do that today, but uh, it really gave you a, a value system, and you were accountable. Yeah, exactly, Sean. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, they, you know, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, they would look out for you, and if they saw you, you know, that you were, you were, you were doing the wrong thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're. Your your parents would find out, you know. Right, right. Well, I heard you were doing this and this and this. You shouldn't be doing that. Well, you know. Yeah. yeah. They looked out for each other. Yeah. So were you, were you always a big kid? I, I know early on. I mean, I think you were already over six feet six feet by the time you were in high school. Or, but were you, were you always a big kid? And where did you get your size in the family? Uh, my grandfather. Mm. You know, on my mother's side, I really believe I got my size from him. But, uh, but uh, so here's something. I mean, when I uh, when I graduated from college and I no, when I graduated from high school, yeah. and I went to college, you know, at Purdue. So as uh, so as a, when I began college, I was six foot two and one seventy five. Wow. <clears throat> when I graduated from college, I was. Six four and three ten. Hmm. <clears throat> but did, but I was working out a lot. See, I, I was working out a lot, and I and I ate a lot. But you know, but you know, uh, but at, but also, you know, oh, I wasn't fat. I kept myself in shape. I had a physique, so you know, I was looking. I was looking okay. I was looking good there, kid. Yeah. Well, and, and uh, you mentioned in the book that, um, that you know, that you at the time and had a really bad stutter and that you thought by becoming a more imposing figure and not would just not only give you this, you know, uh, intimidating kind of uh, f- uh, presence, but also it gave you confidence. Uh, and that's something you started early on in life was, was weightlifting, right? Yeah, 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 that's exactly right, you know, because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to have respect, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> so I thought if I had the size and the power that I would have that respect, you know, to help me overcome uh, in in what I had to face in my speech. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, that's true, that's that's. Uh, very true. Yeah, and that's something that you dealt with your your whole life is with with the with the speech impediment. Um, and back then, I don't think they probably didn't ha- really have a lot of help for kids like that uh, that were that deal were dealing with something like that. Was I mean, how difficult at that time was it for you? Uh, you know, it would vary. I mean, I had my friends, which you know, which accepted me very well, and yeah, but, uh, yeah then other times are. You know, there were other situations that weren't, you know, that weren't that positive. Yeah. Yeah. But is it something, though, that drove you through your life? I mean, that you, it helped you overcome other obstacles because of that. 
Well, yeah, that's uh, you know that's also true. I mm. uh, because uh, I I I I became an achiever. Mm-hmm. You know, so I knew I had to do. You know, I had to do a certain, you know, certain things to show. Right. You know, uh, that I could have success. <clears throat> so, when did the fascination with wrestling start? And 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 really, from the very beginning, uh, I guess you know, like any other kid, maybe you caught it on television. But when did when did that start to become part of your life? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, very true. Uh, when I was raised in Indiana, there, they, wrestling began you know, on the television about uh, yes, yeah, so in 1958. So I was roughly 14 years old or so, mm-hmm. and we had we had a uh, neighbor that was the second house over, and he was one of the referees, <laughs> and he had a young son too, and every so often, uh, so he took myself and his son with him when he had the referee and that was a real treat i mean i really enjoyed that and i mean back then <clears throat> when wrestling was you know when it when it when it when it first began mm-hmm. it it was hot i mean in indianapolis indiana i mean that wrestling was so hot you wouldn't believe it yeah. i mean it was something they you know you had the bruiser you had yukon eric Yes, Cowboy Ellis, the Sheik, the Shire Brothers. I mean, this. I mean, it. They drew all the time. They drew uh, money. You know, Angelo Papo. Yeah. I mean, on and on and on. They just, you know, it. Oh, it was something. <clears throat> and when did you? Uh, what What was the arena that uh, everybody went to for those for those matches? What was the uh... Because uh, well, in, well, in Indianapolis, they'd have it uh, either at the Coliseum or the Armory, and then you know they had the other towns around the area too that they went to. But yeah. everywhere they, they went, you yeah, know, they, they drew money. Yeah, they packed those houses. Uh, so you go to college, and uh, you graduate, and then you 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 go into law school. I can't imagine when uh, and you, you you work out all this time. You you've got good size on you. Uh, you're going to become a lawyer, and then you decide that's not for me. So I would love to have heard that conversation you had with your parents when you told them that you chose uh, another well, path. Yeah, when I called them up, I said, you know, I don't think this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I was on the phone with my father, and, you know, I could tell he just wasn't happy at all about that. Yeah, no. But but that's But that's the way I went, you know, and... And then I came home, and then I I got a job working for Chrysler. Oh, at the foundry, I was in the quality con- quality control department. Uh-huh. I was there about a year, and then I found oh uh, I found a hand uh, to help me. You know, um, yeah, so. To get uh, into the business, learn how to wrestle. Yeah, I said Tom Jones. I don't know if you, if you've ever, Gil, if you've ever heard of Tom Jones, mm-hmm. but uh, but he helped me. He uh, he was living there in town, but he was working for the Sheik, and the Sheik at that time he had the territory up in Detroit, which was Michigan and Ohio. <clears throat> 
so that's how I began actually uh, some working uh, for the Sheik. So you quit school, I mean, law school, with basically a dream. You had no other uh, step in. You hadn't already made uh, connections to getting into the business. You were just, had you been training? I mean, you just decided to go for it? Oh, no, I had, you know, I didn't. At that time, <clears throat> after I returned home, yeah. you know, from law school, I didn't have anyone to help me, so I, I, and I'm not quite sure how, you know, how, you know, how I found him, but Tom Jones was the one that helped. So he, uh, so he, so he helped to train me. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, he was working for the Sheik, so he, right. he, all <clears throat> after him, all after he trained me for a while, uh, he, he took me up, um, uh, to, um, um, meet the sheik, uh -huh. and I met the sheik, and the sheik liked me, and uh, and he let me have a chance. Yeah, the <laughs> sheik you're referring to is Eddie Farhat, and uh, back then he was yeah. a, he was a huge name in wrestling. Uh, what do you think it was that he gave you a chance? Because I imagine back then you said it was you know wrestling was was big time. Uh, that he would take a chance on a a kid. I mean, probably maybe your size, but what else do you think it was that? Uh, that sold you, that sold him on you. <laughs> that's a real good, well, Sean, that's a good question. I, I'm not quite sure, but you know, <clears throat> I had the inroad with Tom Jones. <clears throat> so Tom helped me there. <clears throat> and you know, when I, when I, uh, met the Sheik, uh, you know, I was looking at him and, and, and I had seen him as a kid, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he was, Oh yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, yeah, he was a huge draw, and overall, you know, he was, you know, he was, <laughs> so he was kind of frightening, right? Yeah, he was so a I'm super heel, yeah. <laughs> oh, a, a real super heel, yeah, I mean, uh, you know. They hated him. Yeah, yeah, oh, they hated him <laughs> like crazy, you know, because they thought he was nuts and everything yeah. else, and, yeah. you know, he had the, <clears throat> and he had the valet, his wife, yeah. Joyce and yeah, he used to slap her around, and that would get Jeez. all kinds of heat. I mean, they tried to kill him oh, over uh. and over and over. I mean, when I say they tried to kill him, I mean like oh, in the grave. They yeah. wanted to get him dead. I mean, the fans would try to kill him sometimes. Yeah, you know, and people <laughs> don't remember. Uh, you know, of course, many are not were not around then because they're much younger. But uh, when you talk about heat. Uh, people don't really understand what arenas could be like, and I'm, I, you'll probably we'll have you talk a little bit more about like when you talk about the Cow Palace and how insane. I mean, where they have riot squads escort you to the ring, but those crowds could get really, really uh, out of control. Oh yeah, yeah. I can, yeah. You know, it. You know, like for instance, I can, I can, I, I can recall one time at the Coliseum in Indianapolis. Yeah. With the Shire brother, you know, uh -huh. Roy Shire and Ray Shire, which was actually uh, Ray the Stevens. Ray. Yeah, so Ray Stevens. Yeah, I mean they, you know, I mean they tried to kill them there. I mean, you know, they had the fans outside waiting for them Jeez. for hours and hours. Yeah, it could get very, very dangerous. So, so anyway, getting there, we kind of get off track there, but. Um, 
the sheik gives you a, a break. Uh, he he brings you in. And what I found interesting, you talk about how they would they had you wear a mask, and uh, yeah. for a number of reasons, but because then they could have you insert you to all different kinds of uh, matches. But it also allowed you to develop anonymously, where they wouldn't uh, you know identify you, and you could make your mistakes. That was I, that was a good idea. Yeah, you know that was the sheiks. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, he thought that up, and uh, so you know I was, I was, uh, just happy to have a chance at that time. You know, because now you know, like you know, I could say I'm a professional wrestler. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> and so what were those first days like on the road when you really when you started working on a regular basis? Oh, well, I don't know. I mean, I like I just said, I was just happy that, you know, I had the chance that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a chance to wrestle, you know, as a professional. And I wanted to learn everything I could, you know. So, you know, she could always say, I want you to watch, you know. So all the matches, I want you to watch. I want you to learn. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> you know, I mean, he, so he would try to help me out. He, you know, he had me over at his house. I used to sleep at his house up and on. Yeah, he would, yeah, he treated me well overall. I mean, uh, the uh, money was not all that great, but, mm. <laughs> you know, I I was just happy I was on the road. Yeah. Well, and I don't know how long you worked uh, that that first time with him in Indianapolis, but about I, a year. I, yeah, for a year, and then I think at that point you said that he decided you know you needed to have some different seasoning, and he sent you to uh, Hell on Earth. It sounds like that you went to work for Stu Hart up at Stampede Wrestling, and for a number of reasons, but uh, I guess uh, uh, initially because of the incredible cold. I think you mentioned that you you shut your car door one time and the window broke. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, because I was up there. I was just west of Winnipeg, and I had to get gas, and I got gas, and, and then I, you know, when, when I shut the door, yeah, my, my that's a window just, uh, you know, it shattered. Oh, I mean, geez. Hundreds and hundreds of pieces of small glass everywhere, and then you know, I so I had to get that to filled in with yeah, you know, with some cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It was a cardboard God. at the window, and then I had to drive on to Calgary, and I got to Calgary, and I checked in the hotel, and then it was so cold there. So when I got up in the morning, you know, I tried to start my car. I couldn't start my car. Because the engine was, com- you know, was, com- yeah, it was completely frozen, and then, yeah, so I had to find out that I had to get a freeze plug in the engine, otherwise it wouldn't start. On and on and on, you know, yeah. it was just, it was miserable for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, we've often mentioned Stu Hart on this program. Um, I guess it wasn't. Uh, I'm trying to to say this <laughs> delicately, but it wasn't real easy to work for Stu and uh the payoff weren't weren't great at that time and I don't know if the business was down or what but uh that's not, that doesn't stand out as a great experience for you maybe uh good for experience but not a great one <laughs> well you know with well I like Stu Hart yeah oh he's you know, he, great great but he was 
Yeah, he was okay. I mean, but you know, I mean, he uh, he had his own ways, and the houses weren't that great. So, in one respect, I can understand the payoffs, but you know, still, you know, I mean, you have to live. You you have to find a room to live in. You know, I like the hotel. You got to travel on the road. You have to pay trance. You got, you know, right. you have to eat. So, <clears throat> overall, you know. It wasn't a place where you could have a lot of success, and you know, the uh, money was uh, was low. I would say, let's just say that. Yeah. Well, and and, and uh, to to his credit, I mean, Stu Hart um, helped develop some of the greatest talents in the business ever. And I don't know if you remember at the time that uh, was there a young Bret Hart running around back then. Do you remember? Have any memories of the kids? Uh, really, no, I yeah. don't, because they would have been a lot younger. This yeah. was been back in, uh, <clears throat> be back in, in 1969, actually. So they oh, were, wow. you yeah, know, so, yeah. they were, you know, I mean, there, there were, there were a few of them that weren't even alive yet. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah I didn't realize it was a 69. Yeah. Uh, but but things would get better when you went to Florida. I think that and kind of I guess started a love affair with that state because uh, you had a lot of success there. Yes, I did. I went down to Florida because the sheik. <clears throat> all I called the sheik, you know, after a few weeks, I told the sheik, really, you know, I got to leave here. The money is really low, and the trips are long, and the snow is thick, and it's really cold. I got to, you know, I got to leave. He said, okay, okay. He said, I'll phone you back after a while. He phoned me back. He said, I'm going to send you to Florida. And I thought, yay. Yeah, just for the weather alone, sunshine. I'm sure you would have been like, <laughs> just. Right? Sunshine, you know. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Sunshine, you yeah. know. Fish are jumping. This, you know, and this, yo, and the sun is shining. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, let's go to Florida. So I did. <clears throat> and. And it worked out. Yeah, that was under uh, Eddie Graham, I think. And um, how, you know, going there, how good of a territory was that? Because we've I've had people on before who talked about it's, at that period of time in the seventies. Yeah, that it was a great well, territory. Yeah. So so when I went down there the first time, it was uh, I went down there around the first around the 1st of 69, mm -hmm. roughly February, oh, I think, <clears throat> you know, the end of February. And, uh, yeah, uh, the territory was in good shape. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so they had me, you know, they liked my size, and I was working some, you know. They saw that I had potential. So I was working heel. I was with Malenko. And then, uh, you know, that was working well for a while they yeah they had a few guys there that were good you know Malenko so Hans uh, Mortier they had the Briscoes wow. uh, Joe Scarpa on and on and so <clears throat> I was working out I saw heel yeah and then and then I switched you know Malenko you know he said yeah, we ought to have a switch here so he went to Eddie and so he suggested that, and Eddie went, yeah, sounds good, and they tried it, and it worked, and it worked well. So 
overall, I did well with the first time I went to Florida. You know, was good. Well, you know, and and that period of time was a real interesting time in our country. Uh, you know, we had the uh, you know the civil rights movement had you know the late '60s era was really ramping up. So we're talking in the '70s then. And you mentioned in your book how race came into play in many of these matches in Florida. I found this really uh, kind of incredible that depending on where you were wrestling in the state and also uh, in the Bahamas, uh, can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Because in some places, if they had a, you know, a black wrestler, they, he would be over in one area because that was the, the crowd was. It really depended on who the, the crowd was at, uh, at the time, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, you go to the Bahamas, and yeah. uh, when you're wrestling one of the favorites, mm-hmm. and if he and if he happened to be black, oh boy, you know, you were taking a chance then because they could get wild. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fans could get really wild, and and if they thought you were really hurting him, so here they'd come, you know, and they'd be throwing all kinds of. Uh, rocks, yeah. bottles, uh, everything. <clears throat> but it's really, it's, yeah. it's very interesting uh, that it just kind of shows a reflection of the business. I mean, all it really comes down to is what sells. It didn't matter uh, your race or, you, you know, whatever your makeup was or it just depend is he over or not, you know, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Then that kind of uh, is really what decided how, a, how you were going to go with the match. Well, yeah, true. You wanted to have, you know, you wanted to have individuals that could draw money, and you know, it 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 would really help if they knew how to wrestle, if they knew how to work. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and that's yeah, you know, you want to have you want to have on one side you got the heels, the other, you know, you have the good guys, you know, the baby face, and you know, each each hand has to handle their position well. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. how, how uh, race came into it there. Like in Florida, you'd say you'd go to different parts of the state even. And it just depended on who was in the crowd. Uh, it depended on who was going to be popular, who was going to go over, and who wasn't. Well, true, too. Now, you know, I mean, for, uh, for instance, you know, it would also depend mm-hmm. on who was on the card. Now, if you had certain wrestlers, you know, they could draw, you know, a certain crowd. Yeah. You know, and it always helped, you know, like if you went in an area that had a, a, a larger population of blacks, if you had a black on the card, you know, that always helped. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Well, and, and you mentioned that that first run was, was great in um, in Florida. And I, I don't know if this is about the time that you started to get involved in the brass knuckles matches. Yeah. These things were a little little different for back in the day. Um Although there's, you know, people did work pretty stiff back then at times, but these were, uh, I guess, what you know today people would understand as hardcore matches, and they called them, you know, brass knuckles matches. And right. uh, this, you said, you know, there were there was, you know, you guys would tape your knuckles, and I guess it would be kind of almost like bare fists, and uh, not unusual to see a lot of color in these matches. How 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 uh, common was that back then that you that you got color? Well, I, if I recall correctly, and I think I do, with that type of a match, mm-hmm. it was almost every time. Yeah, really? Pretty much? Well, I guess with those matches, yeah. too. But also in other other matches, 
uh, it was not unusual. Because I remember as a kid, I used to remember see the see the magazines, the magazine, or the wrestling magazines, and pretty much on every cover you'd see a guy just covered in you know blood. Uh, yeah. But that True. that was that was part of the business back then. You see, and I remember you know when I worked for the WWF. Um, you know, a lot of the agents who were former wrestlers, uh, Tony Guria and, and uh, you know, especially, yeah. you know, some of these other guys, boy, they had, uh, and uh, I, I just remember a lot of these guys, they had the, a map on their forehead from the number of uh, slices. They oh, they, yeah, there were a few that were, that were really famous for it, you know. Oh, Dusty Rhodes. I mean, my goodness, uh, it's amazing that, you know, he, he certainly has had quite a few, but uh, yeah. That was yeah. very common. Uh, and also the Sheik and the Butcher. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, there were there were a few, you know, there that the foreheads were like, uh, you know, like a road map. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and there was a real art to it, too, also on doing it and also uh, hiding the blade. Well, you know, I mean, if you had to have a blade, there was other times, you know, they do. It's easy, you know, to draw some blood if you hit it on, if you hit the guy on the corner of the eye. Mm-hmm. You know, that's easy uh, because, uh, because over there on the corner of the eye, the thin is real skin. Is, 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 uh, is a skin still on the bone. Uh, so that's easy to open up, too. <clears throat> yeah. But most of the time you'd use a, a blade, right? And you'd either, I know, like some guys put it in their mouth, which, which you know, I guess you really <laughs> be, be careful because uh, you didn't want to swallow it. But also uh, either in a waistband or uh, I think you said, uh, you know, by, you would tape your fingers. And have, yeah. Yeah. So people had different ways of doing it depending on what, what you preferred, I guess. Yeah, that, you know, that would vary, obviously, from individual. Yeah. From individual to individual, yeah. Yeah. Very so, true. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I would love to cover, you know, all all your stops, but I, I'm going to have to kind of, uh, you know, move along and and, and uh, really just bring out the ones that stand out most to me. And I think, uh, you know, like I mentioned, you wrestled in territories all over the country and the world as it would, you know, come about, but... Um, yeah. a, a major move you made was to San Francisco and, uh, you know, looking through and like in the book folks, uh, you know, uh, a brute power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw, um, you worked with some incredible talent back then in, in San Francisco. What was that experience like? Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons I went to San Francisco because I knew some individuals, uh, well, one from Florida, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a psycho negro, and and some others. And I always heard that if uh, you know you could learn a lot if you went to San Francisco with Roy Shire. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to go because I was all you know I was still you know young. It was my second year in the business, and I wanted to learn everything I could because you know I wanted to be successful. I wanted to draw money. You know what I mean. And then, so that's, so I went to San Francisco, of course, you know, you know, they had the Ray Stevens there, mm-hmm. Pat Patterson was there, uh, the Cyclone was there, um, Peter Maivia. when I was there, 
Yeah, Maivia was there. So Rocky Johnson, yeah. he came in. Huh. But he was young like I was, too. Because really? we first met in Detroit yeah. you know, when I broke in. And then others, too. I forget, uh, you know, uh, Tony Parisi was there. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Ray Stevens, you, you know, mentioned. I, uh, with, he was... Yeah, Ray Stevens. Yeah, he was, you know, everybody considered uh, Ray Stevens, you know, you know, like like one of the greatest workers. Yeah, yeah, and 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 obviously he knew how to work. He was good. <clears throat> yeah, uh, so that's the reason I went there. You know, well, one of the main reasons I wanted to learn, and and I went. You know, <laughs> so when I had the opportunity, absolutely. Did you know what a great territory it was? Uh, I mean, they would pack the Cow Palace, and I think that that place held about fifteen thousand people. Um, was it ju- was it just a really great uh, territory out there? Well, uh, overall, they drew well. Uh-huh. You know, like you know, you know, you go to to the Cow Palace in San Francisco. You go to Fresno. You went to Redding. Always they drew well. You. You went to San Jose, you went to Sacramento. But the only thing was, uh, working there, uh, he didn't run a lot of shows. Uh, that was the problem, you know. And so you're, you know, usually on the town you were working in, you know, the the money was okay. But then, but you wouldn't, but you, but you weren't, working all that often so you know uh, you know you know that was one of the drawbacks so i mean you say not working very often because i know that would you know you some territories you work seven nights a week how how often were you working uh when you were there like what was an average week maybe three. Oh wow okay so that that you know i hope they paid very well because that would be a tough way to make a living if you're only working three times a week yeah true no. But overall, you, th- you you felt you learned a great deal while you were out there. I mean, uh, you know, uh, talk about that, that tag team with, with uh, you know, Pat Patterson and, and uh, Ray Stevens. Um, just being around that talent had to elevate you as far as just, I mean, not just working with them, but watching them work. Yes, yes, true, you know, because I used to watch a lot too, you know, because I always wanted to see what was happening and, so how, you know, how I could improve. And you talk about, you know, when you were at the cow palace, you know, you know, with, with the police they hired there, you know, that was always something too. Because, you know, actually you had to have them because the fans were, you know, they were rowdy as all hell. Really? I mean, <laughs> we're really like literally they were riot police, right? With, with batons and everything. That would just oh yeah you know like you know when I come down we used to we at the cow palace we used to dress on the second floor you know and then you know, we come down the stairs and yeah. then they'd have the police down there they had on the helmets and the face shields but the face the shields were up so you come down the stairs all they do is just look at you and go are you ready <laughs> and if you said yes they so they got. Yeah, they dropped the face, and they dropped the face uh, shield down, and, and they took out the nightsticks and says, "Let's go," and we went. 
and then you got people trying to punch you, doing everything else, and they're whacking them. Oh yeah, I mean that happened all the time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be you know, and and the same thing too. Yeah. After the match, you come out of the ring. They Probably look at even you more and protection. Say, I mean, they look at you and say, are you ready? And, <laughs> and all you had to do was say yes, oh and boom, God. you went. And I mean, the same thing. I mean, they take out the nightsticks, and here we go. <laughs> and they're still trying to punch you and kick you and do all kinds of crap. <clears throat> you know? Well, how, so, how, you how, know. The, how the business has changed. Uh, how long were you in San Francisco? How long did you work that territory? Uh, the first time, yeah, about nine months, I think, yeah. nine to ten months. And and was that uh, after that? Is that when you went to Japan? Uh, For the first time, I went to Australia, oh, yeah. I, and so that I have to say that for Shire, he, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, so he sent me overseas. He got me that assignment. Overseas, and then after Australia, I was in Japan. Yeah. Wow, uh, that had to be. And, and since you mentioned it, uh, working in Australia must have been not. I can't imagine what it was like to get there. I mean, how many flights you had to take? But uh, really, being on the other side of the world, uh, down under, as they say, um, that uh, must have been an incredible experience. Oh, yeah, it was something. I mean, I was still young. I was still a kid. I was yeah. still, you know, I'm, all I'm trying to learn, I went down there for Jim Barnett. Right. Yeah. Who had started yeah. the territory yeah. down there. I just picked up and said, we're just going, I mean, going away. And boy, did they. Uh, was it a successful operation down there? I mean, was there good crowds? Are they big wrestling fans? Well, when, when I first went there for Jim, you yeah. know, the... Uh, the territory was in, I uh, was in sad shape uh -huh. and they brought me in cause at that time they, they were considering about, you know, they, Jim and his partner, Lonnie, they, you know, they had, they were considering closing the territory, but mm -hmm. yeah, they brought me in. And I became, you know, the top heel. I mean, just right away. Oh, I really? mean, boom! I'm, I fly in. I'm the top heel, yeah. and and I worked a program with uh, Mario Milano, mm -hmm. and 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 then the houses were on the way up, you know, right. and they started to come up. Then he brought in Carl Cox, mm. and uh, yeah. You kill a Carl Cox. Yeah. I said, Haystacks, Calhoun. Um, so who else? There was some other guys, too. And then, you know, and then after a while, it just really popped. It went, it went, you know, really good. It was great. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, 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 you, ha you certainly helped ch uh, change things down there, but then they started bringing in better talent. Um, and so that yeah. run, how long did that run last? Because... Uh, that's I was I was there for ten months that time. Yeah. And that was pretty much a standard run, right? We we would go somewhere and, and stay for nine or ten months. Well, it would all depend, you know. Yeah. It, uh, it it would all depend uh, you know, on who you are and what you wanted to do. Uh 
how you drew, and also it would depend on on, on where you were on the card, right. too. Uh-huh. So I mean, if you're, if you're drawing money, you know, it's like yeah, they they don't want you to leave, right? Yeah. Now, did those did uh, you know, Bugsy? Did those um, territories? Stretch from you know Australia. Did did you would you do these uh, Malaysian tours too, as part of that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that was I a went, big big deal too. I did. Uh, also, I went over to uh, yeah New Zealand for two months, uh-huh. and then Malaysia, Singapore, Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, that was all for Jim Barnett. And, oh, and was that time. lucrative? Were those tours lucrative? Could you make good money, or uh, you know, because like once you're yeah. over there, that I mean, you, that's it. You got to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because also you know when you come overseas like that, yeah. it's the same sort of situation uh, in, in you know like Japan. Mm-hmm. They got you on a salary then, you know, because it's uh, all. It's up to them to run the territory, and it's up to you, you know, to help draw the money, but. Uh, but you're saying yeah, they put so you we, on salary, so it wasn't based on gates, on how much you made? Uh, no, it, it, you so, know, you came so in. You had a set rate that they would pay you no matter whatever happened at the venue. Yeah. Wow. So right. that, that was a little more stable. <laughs> yeah, you know, that helped out. So, you know, and so I was, at that time, I was happy with the money. Yeah. And I could. Oh, I couldn't complain, you know. One part of your book I found really interesting was when you spent time in Japan, uh, just because it's it's a fascinating time in the in the uh, history of professional wrestling. But also, uh, you talk about Gorilla Monsoon, who um, those who know knew him uh, knew him as Gino, and uh, I, I got a chance to spend a lot of time with him and became very good friends with him. Uh, I find it really uh, amazing that you know he was the leader of the guy Jin over there, as they refer to you guys. Uh, what was it like, first of all, that experience in Japan, and then also being around um, Gino? Yeah, you know, when we went to Japan, my first uh, trip. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so 1972, you know, yeah. that was good, um, yeah. and uh, you know there uh, there were a lot of guys, and he was the leader of the whole group. So really and truly, you know, if we had any problems, if if, if we had any complaints, mm-hmm. we went to Gino. What were some of the restrictions uh, working in Japan? What were some of the, the drawbacks, though? I mean, I know it was a great place to work, but uh, imagine the language barrier had to be difficult. So was it tough to stay there for a long period of time? Uh, yeah, because you didn't hear a lot of English. <laughs> so here's kind of a an unusual twist, like, because, uh, you know, you didn't hear a lot of English. The only English you heard was from the other wrestlers. So, you know, when I was in the room, you know, in the hotel rooms, I would wake up early to watch to watch the Sesame Street. <laughs> would watch that because it was in English. Uh-huh. So I would wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning just to watch the Sesame Street because it was in English. Oh, that's and great. Otherwise, everything was in Japan. Yeah. I was in Japanese, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, that's one of the things I did every morning. I just woke up early because it was in English. I thought, oh, boy. 
That's funny that, uh, you know, people don't realize, but when you don't hear your language for a long time, you get, you get, you're like thirsty for it. Uh, after, That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I, because on that first trip, we were over there for seven weeks. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, that was a while. Uh, now I, I want to talk about your move to the, the WWF and working for Vince McMahon Sr., uh, how did that uh, yeah. all come about in uh, your arrival uh, working for him? Uh, I was, I'm not quite sure about all the details, yeah. but I, I had one, at one time I, I had contacted Yaman Soon about working there. Yeah. And we should give and a little background, I, you know, we should give a little background on this and, and, uh, and Gorilla, uh, Gino uh, Morella's connection to uh, Vince Sr., he actually owned a piece of the company and uh, was a, had a big influence with, uh, with Vince Sr. Um, uh, he was greatly admired by uh, uh, Vince McMahon. And, uh, and he remained loyal to the company throughout, and he a- ended up working with Vince Jr. and was rewarded for the fact that he was so loyal to his dad. And I think he ended up like say, selling his piece of the company to Vince and, and was taken care of uh, thereafter. But uh, getting back to where you were talking about that, uh, that Gorilla had a big influence with the WWF and helped you out. Yes. And then also, I think, uh, you know, they contacted Shire and then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, that. Uh, between the two, that's how you know. That's how that happened. And then I went across the country, and, and I went to work, you know, for uh, yeah, for Vince Senior. Right. And he actually gave you the name Bugsy McGraw, right? Yes, he actually. Yeah, that was his name. I came in there as the brute. Yeah. yeah. And so, he, so he came to me and said, "Listen." Uh, we just recently had a wrestler in here that was called the brute. Would you mind if I change your name? Mm-hmm. Well, what am I going to say to him? Oh, uh, no, you yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, uh, well, because I, uh, because I, because I figured that I had a chance to make some uh, money there. Yeah. So I go, okay, you know, that's good. We'll do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so he did. And he's the one who changed my name. Yeah, and, and he had an affinity to Irish names. We uh, it would always, uh, in many cases, <laughs> put that moniker on people. Of course, the most uh, one of the big ones, Hulk Hogan. Uh, but uh, you were before that. You were uh, gave you Bugsy McGraw, uh, and and so um, that it that worked out pretty darn well for you, <laughs> I would say. Uh, oh yeah. But I want to talk about early on. You got a, a, a huge break early on. Uh, stepping into the ring with the uh, the ultimate champion in many ways, Bruno San Martino, and I know that you are very fond of uh, Bruno San Martino. Yes, yes, I got along with Bruno, and, and and then and then especially after he saw the way that I worked, and the first time I worked with him, you know. Now here's a true a true story. Now you got Vince McMahon Senior. and uh, monsoon and they're standing in the back and they're watching my match mm-hmm. with uh, Bruno and Vince turns to Gino monsoon and goes how come our other wrestlers don't take the pumps 
how that he does. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. And that match came about because somebody didn't show up or something, right? I mean, that first real uh, encounter uh, with him. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, that, or you know, that's what I was told because uh, the Stomper, mm-hmm. so Archie Goldie, uh-huh. uh, he canceled, <laughs> and when he canceled. Oh, I got the main event. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things, here's the other thing that, uh, which you might know about. <clears throat> that match was in, was in September mm-hmm. of 1975. And September for wrestling throughout all the territories was not a good time. Mm-hmm. Because that's when, you know, you had the families that had children. They returned to school. They had to buy them clothes. They had to buy them books. They had to pay for fees. Wrestling almost always dropped. Right. You know, the crowds would really drop off and on and on. But I went in there, <clears throat> and we had a sellout. Wow. That's great. Yeah. What did it mean to yeah. you to wrestle at the Garden? I mean, that is kind of like back then was, and still huge, but uh, yeah. it was the pinnacle. If you reached the garden, you'd made it. Yeah, you know, that's true. You know, I can recall, too, you know, because one of the things, uh, because my manager, Lou, you know. Lou Albano? Uh, yeah, so Captain Lou Albano. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> he came to me and he said, you know, after after we had the sellout, because Vince being it, Vincent Mann Senior went to him and said, "If oh, if we get if we get the seventy percent of the house, I'll be really happy." Well, we got a sellout, so you know they they were they were really really overjoyed about that. So you know that's one of the things I heard from Lou. But um, yeah, you know it was really something you know to wrestle in the garden and and to see a sellout crowd and they're all screaming and. You know they want your blood, you know, because you're 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 wrestling the you know the living legend of professional wrestling. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's and and from what you tell in the book, uh, you gained a great deal of respect for him in that first match because I think you you were going out there, you wanted to to show him, uh, you know, what, oh, yeah. what kind of a, a the strength you had, the the endurance you had, and he basically ended up uh, dancing around you, <laughs> literally. Well. Uh, he was, uh, you know, because I had heard about, you know, because everybody had, you know, by yeah. now, yeah. You know, all at that time, because, you know, he had been wrestling for some time. But you, anytime you heard about Bruno, you knew that this guy was, uh, you know, he was strong, very strong. Yeah. And you knew that he was in shape. Uh, but, you know, you know what not everybody understood that he was not only in shape, he was not only in excellent shape, he was in fantastic shape. Yeah. So I knew, I knew I was in shape, you know what I mean? Because I trained a lot and, you know, I knew I was strong. I could press, I could press over 500 pounds anytime I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really figured, okay, Bruno San Martino, I'm going to see what you got, big boy. I'm going to blow you up. I'm going to, you know, right, I'm right. going to show you who's the boss. So I go in the ring with that attitude, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I take it to him. I mean, I really take it to him. And boy, we just 
going up and down, over and under, up and down again. <laughs> and so one time I, so one time I ended up in the corner on my knee. Look across at the other corner. There's Bruno in the corner, and he's jumping up and down. He's dancing, Jeez. and I thought to myself, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> so I. So I got up, man, and I charged him, and we went at it again. I mean, uh, you know, and because there were a lot of guys, you know, they weren't that in the ring, you know, and they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't force the match, but I forced the match, and he liked it. Yeah, wow. He really liked it, so. Yeah, and I think it was interesting. I mean, you were basically calling that match, which is the. was surprised oh. me. I mean, here you got you're in there with a champion, and you're. Oh yeah, that was the thing with Bruno, yeah. you know, because I was really, you know, because I was really impressed with him, because you know, I, you know, because I told him I'm going to call this, yeah. you know, I, you know, like I, I would offer a match, especially if I'm working heel, because right. I want, you know. I want the overall, uh, the overall. So you know, you know, I led the match, and he did everything. I, you know, I mean, that's uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So, uh, so anything I suggested, he did. You know, what I mean, yeah, and we went, and we went after it. You know, like at the at the very end, all I called was slam, and I slammed him three times in a row. Bang, bang, bang. And then I came off the top rope, you know. It's like <laughs> it was, it was good. You know, it was a good match. And Vince uh, Senior and uh, Kim Monsoon were really impressed with the match. Wow, you know, uh, uh, Bugs, you have so many, many great memories. Um, and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about a couple of your experiences with bears because. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, had to bring it up. But I think that there you, you actually had a few matches with some bears, and I mean the real deal. <laughs> well, I'm working for the Sheik. Yeah. And he's the one that used the bears off and on. You know, I mean, they were, you know, they were like an added attraction. Yeah, a gimmick, so you didn't yeah. see them. Yeah. yeah, it's the gimmick, you know. Right. So you didn't see them all that often. Yeah. And um, uh, I can recall there were a couple of times. There's one time I remember we were in we're in Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. and usually when you wrestle the bear, oh, it wasn't a handicap match. Yeah. So you would have a partner, and, and then you would let's wrestle the bear. And I think one of the one of the times I wrestled up in Akron, Ohio. <clears throat> Man, and we wrestled the bear, and my partner—I don't know if you ever heard of him, uh, Jack Kane. Yeah. No. No, but. <laughs> uh, but okay, I'm sure he, he remembers that match. <laughs> yeah, he was at, uh, he was out of Amarillo, and uh, yeah. she had brought him in to help run the territory. Right. Okay. All as a booker. <clears throat> so I'm in there with Jack. So Jack, you know, he's. So he looks at me and goes, uh, he said, I'll start the match. Well, I'm young and green. I go, yeah, great. Start. Yeah, go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> so he goes in there and 
he's wrestling the bear. So I don't know what happened. I'm not sure what happened between uh, yeah between he and the bear. But the bear hit him on the shoulder, and you know they're so you know they're big and they're really strong, oh, and he yeah. slapped him on the shoulder really hard, and he turned around and he came running over to me. He goes, "Tag me! I'm hurt! I'm hurt! Tag me! Tag me!" Mm-hmm. So me. I don't care. I mean, boom, I tagged him, and I and I jumped in, and I just, you know, wrestled the bear. <laughs> I could care less, like, because I was on the road. I was young, and I was a professional wrestler, oh, you know. I was, <laughs> I was just happy to do it. Uh, well, uh, you know, it's it just uh, oh, uh, part of an exciting road you traveled. Yeah, Sean, there's something else uh, uh, that's in the book. I, yeah. I don't want to say it on the interview, but there was another time I, that I wrestled the bear. Yeah. And it was also in Ohio, in oh, in, oh, in Springfield, Ohio. And, and my tag team partner and I, but you have to read that in the book because it is truly super unusual. Okay. I mean, un- unbelievably unusual. Okay. You have to read that story. All right. I'm going to make sure when I plug the book here to remind everybody to look that one up. But, um, uh, you te- you know, before we started uh, the podcast, though, you did mention that, because um, we were wondering if we had crossed paths ever, and you said that there was a point where you uh, almost worked for the WWF, or I, I don't know, and I said, save that story. So, um, and because I really, I, I think you would have been a tremendous talent at that level with the WWF, and uh, for some reason it never happened. But how did you almost uh, end up in the ring for the WWF? Yeah, that's about the time that you told me that you began yeah. working for them. Uh, so 1988, um, yeah. I got myself, you know, I had decided, you know, that I had to make a move. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if you're going to continue on at that time, I had been wrestling for about 20 years. So, I, you know, so I wanted to, if, if you're going to work, you want to work and you want to make, money and you want to go and you want to go with someplace that you know you know where you have the where you have the chance to make the most money yeah that was big time so yeah so new york was it yeah so i remember i'm in florida and i went down to to watch the uh matches in tampa Mm -hmm. and i and and i wanted to talk to pat patterson because i knew him you know yeah and i knew that that he was high up in the office you know, he was like, uh, I believe at that time, so uh, the number two man. Yeah, he was the. I believe he was the booker. He was. He was yeah. The guy. yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the guy. So I went to him. I said, Pat, I want to talk to you. Blah blah blah. He goes, Yeah. And I said, Pat, I have myself in shape, and I've been training, and I'd like to come in, and I'd like to work. And right at first, I mean, he went. I mean, he would. I mean, he actually, you know, uh, so, uh, so he got excited. He goes, oh, yeah, you do great here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. That's a, yeah. And he went, I want you to phone me, because this was on a Saturday night, you know, at the matches all in Tampa. And he said, I want you to phone me. Uh, so Monday, he said, we'll set this up. I'll bring you in. Mm-hmm. I said, great, man. I got all excited. So I phoned. Monday, and I get the answer, uh, you know, he's not available, so I phone Tuesday, 
uh, sorry, he's not available. So I phoned Wednesday, sorry, he's not available. So, you know, I, I don't know what happened in the meantime, but, you know, I know how things work with him anyway, so. So, I mean, you um, never, never heard back? No. Huh? What do you, what would you think of, I mean, uh, that, why he didn't want to bring you in? Uh, I really don't know because when we met in person, I mean, the man got, you know, I mean, he was almost, yes, he was excited about it. He goes, yeah, this will be really good. He said, you'll really fit in here. So, you know, I thought for sure, man, I got it made now. But, you know, I tried to phone him and then actually that the next week I even tried to phone again. Huh. And it was the same thing. Uh, we're sorry, he's not available. Huh. You know, the same old thing. So I know whatever happened, I don't know. Yeah, but he must have gotten a message uh, along the way there. <laughs> like, knew that you were inquiring. Yeah. But, you know, it, but, it, you, it, know it, you had, yeah. yeah, besides that, I mean, uh, and you, you had some incredible uh, accomplishments along the way. Uh, when you look at the business, because uh, now, what what is your impression? I don't know if you keep up on it, but um, you know you worked at a time when it was really it was old school. It was kayfabe, and and uh, there were there were very you know distinct lines between heels and baby faces. Uh, it's a very different business today. But what do you what do you think of when you uh, see look at the business today? What is your impression? Okay, as as compared, you know, from now to time. When I was working in Florida, we ran the same towns every week. Uh Monday was uh, Palm Beach, Tuesday was Tampa, Wednesday Miami, and 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 Thursday Jacksonville, and Sunday was or was Orlando. Mm -hmm. But we ran them every week. Yeah. Week after week after week, if Vince McMahon Jr. was to try that now, yeah, he wouldn't have any crowds. Yeah, yeah, that's different. You know what I mean? Well, there's yeah, so much. Different. Yeah, there's so much exposure now between what you can see on the you can on your phone, you can watch stuff. You know. Yeah. yeah. But what very about what true, you see yeah. in the ring? Uh, I don't know if you watch any of the product. There's some uh, very strong independents out there now. Uh, the WWE isn't just the the product now, but what do you what do you think about uh, what's happening in the ring these days? Well, you know, overall, I would uh, I would have to say you've got you know they're they have, in my opinion, a lot of the guys they have in there now. Mm-hmm. They're good performers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. They're really good performers, but I think there's a distinction in, in at least my mind, Mm -hmm. but how many, but how many are true workers? There's a difference. You know, it's one thing if you perform, it's something else if you tell a story. Right. And that's really what it comes down to. Yeah, you're because, right. Because today, I mean, you look at the spots that these kids do, it's unbelievable. I, I worry for their safety that, uh, you know, something really bad is going to happen um, 
with the spots they're doing. These, you know, 360s uh, flips over the top rope onto the floor onto people. If they don't catch you, you're going to break your neck. Uh, you know, spots onto tables from ladders and just, I mean, it's it's just incredible. Um, and, oh, yeah. And, and they're really, like you mentioned, they're incredible performers. But I think that, yeah. uh, you know, back in the day, you, you, had, you got to tell a story. That was, you know, how you saw Well, it. you know, also... Also, I have to say that they are exciting. Yeah. But, you know, there's this, you know, it's usually just a lot of up and down. Yeah. You know, uh, you need to tell a story at times, and that's what we used to do. Yeah. Because, you know, we would have, you know, that, you know, what if you were working with somebody, you might be working with the same individual for months. Yeah. Right. You got to tell a story. You know, you have, you know, like you know, it's 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 something like a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, folks, you've got to check out the book. It's called Brute Power, uh, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. And uh, when is it going to be out? Is it out yet, Bugsy? Uh, it's going to be out real soon. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I need some help on the publishing. We need about yeah. roughly three, yeah, three hundred people. Uh-huh. You had to sign up on. You had to sign up on the pre-orders. Yeah, and, and how can they do that? Watch, do you know how they do that? Is there a website? Uh, there's going to be a website. On, you know, on the Kickstarter. Yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, there's a website there. They're going to have a chance to order the book and and you know the to have one autographed also. And then also, uh, there's a a another thing they can order. My on my scrapbook with over 500 pictures in it. Oh, wow. Over over 500 pictures from all the time I was in wrestling. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to see things they have never seen before with the posters and the articles and the programs. It's, it, you know, I mean, they're going to see things they have never, ever seen before. Yeah. Okay. And so you can, uh, so they can order that too. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, Actually, I think it's really exciting because they're going to read about an era that was really the really the most exciting time in professional wrestling from the late sixties through the seventies, yeah. the eighties, and the early nineties. Wow! Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, they're going to see, they're going to read, they're going to hear about things. I'm going to take them on the road with me. We're going to travel all over the world. We're going to talk about the wrestlers. You know, uh, you have the traveling, the towns. What happened in the ring, outside of the ring, the fist fights in the ring, outside of the ring, and the riots. There, I was in a few riots, Jeez. and they can be riots can be one of two things. They're really either exciting or they're really frightening. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I was in some huge riots, and there was a one time that I got really hurt in a riot, but they'll just have to read about it. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> I mean this isn't. I mean this is you know. I mean this is something that they have not seen before. They haven't heard about, and uh, and and I really think you know when they read the book that they'll find it exciting and they'll really enjoy it. Yeah. And what's the best way for them to get information on it, Bugsy? I would think uh, off of the Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Kickstarter uh, a video. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, folks. I will. I will have that information when I wrap up uh, the podcast. But uh, Bugsy McGraw, I want to thank you so much for taking the time uh, to tell us about your uh, really, really incredible life and uh, your journey in professional wrestling. It really is fascinating. Well, I want to thank you, Sean. You know, for yeah, yeah, for the fact that you're that you're really interested and that. You had a chance to read the book. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I tell you, uh, I loved it. I, I, you know, and I'm fascinated by that history before it really uh, changed. Of course, uh, you know what happened after the the '80s is certainly, uh, you know, it's great for the wrestling business. But I am fascinated by the business and what the way it was like before that. The, um, you know, you guys that paved the road for everybody, and and it really is uh, was a, is a really great time in history with. You know, kayfabe and how the the heels and the baby faces really were kept separate, and there, it's, it was just a a really fascinating part of history. Yes, you know, uh, absolutely. I'd have to say so. You know, and 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 like when they read the book, they go to read. You know, there's some very some very unusual things in the book that, yeah. that you know that they could have go, wow. Well, this is amazing, but it's true. It's true. All these things that I write about, you know, are, you know, they're true. And, you know, and I had help, you know, as writing the book. And and uh, so he was a real blessing, too. Yeah. Um, and, but, but they're going to find it exciting. I'm sure of it. All right, folks, keep an eye out for it, and I will, of course, have more information on it. But, Bugsy, take care. Thank you so much for joining us here on Primetime with Sean Mooney. All right, thank you, sir. Okay, all all the best to you.